Did you know that you could play a significant role in building and supporting the recovery of businesses this year and beyond too? With the need to be local gone, freelancers have increasingly been in the shop window since the pandemic began and all indications point to this continuing. This means freelancers undoubtedly need a strong online presence and trusted support more than ever. The future of work is here and it's the theme of this year's Freelance Heroes Day. Join us to get the tools and contacts and knowledge you need to face the demands that lie ahead and take your freelance business to where you want it to go. For more information about this year's Freelance Heroes Day from 16th to the 18th of May, then visit us at freelance-heroes.com. Hello and welcome to the Freelance Heroes podcast with me, Ed Goodman. Thank you very much for tuning in or tuning in again if this isn't your first time. Now, there's a feeling of a sense of irony about this episode as we're talking about procrastination today. We're just leaving it until there are 40-odd episodes before we talk about it. And actually, the wider issue of productivity is the topic. Grace Marshall is chief encourager. She's a productivity ninja and she's also author of a book out this month called Struggle, The Surprising Truth, Beauty and Opportunity Hidden in Life's Shittier Moments. So I thought now would be a great time to talk to Grace about the book, about her own motivation and productivity challenges, not just in writing the book, but with those that she works with too, and also putting your questions about productivity and procrastination as well. A lot to get through, but some fascinating insights and some real kind of eureka moments, certainly for me anyway, so I'd love to hear what they are for you. So this is Grace Marshall. Enjoy. Grace Marshall, uh, I've, you're one of life's people who I chat with more than members of my own family, albeit through social media. So it's great to finally meet you. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really well. Thanks, Ed. It's good to see you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, you too, I have to say. Um, so you, your book, Struggle, uh, The Surprising Truth, Beauty and Opportunity Hidden in Life's Shittier Moments, is published on the 13th of April, I believe. Yeah. Um, it deserves to do incredibly well. And, and I want to talk about the book, of course, and about procrastination and motivation. But, but for anyone who's not come across you before, why you? Why are you the person to to help us through these moments? So, um, well, yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I started into the world of productivity because um, I'm actually naturally disorganized. So I wouldn't be your typical expert in time management and productivity. But I went into this because I was impatient. You know, I was growing a business alongside a family and um, didn't want to put one on hold for the other, really. Um, So what I found was that a lot of the traditional time management stuff out there wasn't particularly relevant for me in terms of my lifestyle. Um, So I wasn't in a nine to five job with an office, with a secretary, all of those kind of things. But also um, what I noticed was that actually there's a lot more to do with how we think about stuff. So our internal experience rather than just how do we schedule and organize the external stuff around us. And so that's kind of how I went into productivity. But then through that, I started exploring this area of struggle in terms of, you know, There are some things that we struggle with that aren't an easy fix. And maybe there are some things that we struggle with that actually aren't there to be fixed. 
Um, and maybe you know, those are rather than the things that get in the way of our work, maybe that is the birthplace of some of our best work. So it really came from the work I do with other people and just observing and seeing it happen to colleagues, to clients, to friends around me and going, hang on, what is this thing that we're dealing with called struggle? And have we got the wrong idea about it? Um, I can't help feel a sense of irony that, you know, for someone who is, you know, so disorganised to write a book. <laughs> and that's my third book as well. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, do you, I mean, as you're writing a book about how we get through these, as you are, you know, a productivity ninja, do you have moments where you're supposed to be writing where you yourself uh, lack in, you know, motivation and, have high levels of procrastination and so when you have it how do you overcome it <laughs> so I, yeah so the first first the first question do I have it yes absolutely um and I'm a firm believer that procrastination is a very human thing we all have it um and we tend to we tend to procrastinate over the things that are big boring or scary so sometimes it's the stuff we don't want to do so for me ironing falls into that pile. I just hate it. I will avoid it as much as I can. In fact, most of the clothes I buy do not need ironing for that reason. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you could say that it can be the birthplace of some of our most creative ideas. Um, But also I think um, sometimes procrastination happens because it's absolutely the work we should be doing. Um, It's like the most important work. It's the work that requires us to dig deep, to um, break new ground to navigate new territory, to stretch ourselves and to go into that stretch zone rather than the comfort zone. And all of those feelings of like, oh gosh, I don't know, like, do I have what it takes? Um, Should I even be here? All of those feelings of doubt can actually be a sign that we're in the right place rather than we're in the wrong place and we should basically avoid it. And uh, why, so why this book? Why, I mean, because... I think I guess no. Before we go into the book, let's deal with one thing first of all, and I want to focus on the procrastination side Mm. of it to start with, because one of the things I learned about this, and by the way, I disagree with one of the opening statements you make, because you say, uh, if I go to it, that this book is for the struggling, whereas we often we have all struggled in the past, some are struggling now, and some we will all struggle again in the future. And for me, I think it's for everyone even if you're not struggling now, Mm. because you need to recognise signs within it. Um, So um, can I just deal with procrastination, first of all? Because if there's one topic that comes up in freelance heroes more than anything else, it's about motivation and procrastination. And I know, because you only have to look on social media, that procrastination has an element of feeling that it's laziness. But it's Mm. one of the things that the book highlights for me is it's a far deeper mental state. Not that I subscribe to that thought of laziness in the first place, but it's a far deeper mental state. Where does where does that kind of procrastination and that lack of productivity come from before we can then start to unravel what it's doing to us? Yeah, so it comes from resistance. And, um, and resistance, I guess, is a very basic form of protection. It's kind of an ingrained part of us that wants to protect us from things that are uncertain, things that um, are maybe tough and hard, um, that may require hard work, but also things where we might fail. Um, So basically our protective instincts are going, stay safe, stick with what you know, 
don't do anything where you might fail, where you might look a fool, where you might feel uncomfortable. Now, you've already written about ways to be productive, how to be really productive. Why struggle? Uh, because I think struggle is the place that we don't talk about when we normally talk about productivity. So when, in normal productivity terms, the words I'm struggling are normally seen as the opposite of being productive. But I don't think that tells the full picture of struggle and it doesn't tell the full picture of productivity either. So you know, in, in most advice around productivity, um, and, the, and it is good, good advice, when it comes to procrastination, it's things like... Um, Okay, so here's how you stop procrastinating. You need to focus. You need to remove distractions. Um, you can maybe nail yourself to the seat, maybe hold yourself accountable to somebody else, put a Pomodoro timer on, eat the frog. And those are all really, really good um, strategies that can work. But I think um, if you take it a little bit deeper and ask, like, why am I procrastinating about this? Like, what is it about this thing that's causing that procrastination? Then we start to get into the territory of, Oh, do you know what? It's because it's because it really matters to me, or it's because I'm not sure I know how to do this. So, for example, if you're if you're a freelancer, you know how to do what you're currently doing really well, but you're wanting to grow your business, or you're wanting to stretch into your new territory. The thing you're most likely to, to struggle on or procrastinate on is going to be that new thing. It's going to be writing the book rather than answering the emails. Because answering the emails, I know what to do. I know how to do that. It's you know, it's it's the place I'm confident in, and it's also the place that I can get that dopamine hit on when I get that tick. I'm able to say tick, it's done. Whereas write book is this big, ongoing, uncertain thing. So I think struggle is really you know, the the place we go to when we're when we're facing uncertainty, which a lot of us are in generally in the world. It's also the place that we go to when we're going into that stretch zone rather than the comfort zone which I think a lot of us are trying to do when we're trying to grow either ourselves personally or our businesses professionally. You, I mean, I, I don't think what that dopamine hit was like when you completed <laughs> writing the book. I imagine quite high. But of course, you know, it can't go unnoticed. And history will reflect this, I'm sure, that this book has been written and published in the middle of a pandemic. How did that influence the way you wrote a book or the way you approached parts of the book as well or did you somehow find a way to you know kind of put the pandemic aside as you talked about actually the wider needs of us as individuals I think well so the interesting thing about this book is that the idea started in 2018 and even then I was talking about uncertainty and going to the place where we don't know what we you know what we're going into so the end of the world as we know it and that bit was written before the pandemic um, and then when the pandemic hit, I suddenly realized like this is the time this this is where all this stuff I'm starting to talk about is coming to play um, and so this is the year that I need to write this um, and so I think what happened for me is that a lot of what I was seeing around me was echoing and helping me to articulate some of the thoughts I had already and I was able to observe and to bring those examples in but also use it to unpack as like what's going on here so there's a part in the book where I talk about um, the limitations of right and wrong when we think see you know, everything either has to be right or it has to be wrong that I wrote you know that kind of came it got sharpened I guess when um, yeah, the whole Black Lives Matter movement 
um, re, re, you had a resurgence last year and and we started to talk about racism and we started talking about um, you know, how we t- how we talk about those matters and that kind of sense of conflict. Well, as you say, because there's that wonderful line in the book that says the world is a much richer place when we stop holding on to our need to be right. And uh, crikey, do we need that that sentiment more than more than ever? Now, of course, you also coach um, you know people, professionals through their own um, productivity, through their own life and their business as well. How you know from your coaching perspective, how have you seen or noticed more than anything the change in people's um, conversation and mental well-being and adaptability through the pandemic? I think there's been a lot of grappling. There's been a lot of grappling with with uncertainty. Um, and rather than it being a sign that kind of we're out of our depth, it's it's recognizing actually if if the whole terrain at the moment is that of uncertainty, it means that we need to have some different measures of success. So rather than like, I know what I'm doing, I'm confident, I'm going to go and do it and just hold me accountable. It's more like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So leadership in an uncertain, in an uncertainty is very different from leadership when we, when everything's easy to predict and plan and, and strategize. So I think there's been a lot more talk around a lot more openness and humility around recognizing the things that we don't know and also recognizing the the opportunity there is for learning and discovery when, when when we don't know all the answers to you know the kind of like asking questions rather than having all the answers um but also I think there's been a a grappling with I guess what we define as success in the moment um it's been interesting to see um the the kind of conversation around the pandemic how how we still talk about you know when we go back to normal and it's been a whole year and Yes, then yeah, we're definitely looking forward to certain things returning from before, but I don't think we'll ever go completely back to normal. I think um, yeah, we're going to be navigating new territory all the way through. Um, so for people to rather than go, right, when this is all over, this is what I want life to look like, to start kind of asking the questions of what do I want life to look like right now? And OK, this current situation isn't ideal, but how do I show up? How do I have the things that are important to me? even in this place, this kind of you know, um, struggle, this kind of awkward place, as well as you know, maybe when things are plain sailing, when things are ideal. Yeah. It's funny, really, when you talk about that, because there's an element, I mean, there's a considerable amount of candidness from your part as you write the book. You are incredibly open. I know a lot of people who write business books kind of use that as a way of of creating an empathetic relationship with the reader but actually as you go through the talks about things you've done right and things you've done wrong you're quite candid throughout and how I feel that the pandemic itself has enabled us to be as you just said yourself you know more open about how we're feeling and where those barriers are how much different do you think this book would have been then had you written it maybe five years ago where the conversation would have been quite different to where it is now Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think it would have been maybe more of a surprising conversation. I think it would have come more left field. Um, you know, at the moment when I even when I tell people the the name of the book and the subtitle of the book, there's there's the the instant reaction is one of laughter, um, it's one of humour, and it's one of recognition. It's like, oh yes, definitely, <laughs> um, and 
And I think there probably would have been, it would probably would have been seen as more of a niche book if I'd written it five years ago um, compared to now. Yeah. That's really fascinating. <laughs> I, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. And um, the book itself is also written in quite a, an, an interesting way. And I'm, I'm keen to know your reason behind this, because arguably it's a book which is perfectly, it takes us through a journey of process and is best read cover to cover. But it's equally written in a way where you can just literally just open it at any page and read a section. I almost feel it's targeted with procrastinators in mind as you go <laughs> through it in that sense. But, you know, what was the reason behind writing it in such a fashion that that enabled you to just pick up and read a page or two and, you know, kind of open it where you are or go to where you are? What's the, the mind, yeah, the thought process behind that? Yeah, so for me, I wanted it to be a really easy to digest book. I wanted it to be the sort of book that you can go to when you're in the middle of struggle, pick it up, um, you know, take it in with a cup of tea and go, oh, yes, there's something that helps me to feel good and better and also something useful I can use um, and take forward. So I didn't want it to be a heavy book because that would just be the worst thing, having a heavy book about struggle. <laughs> it would just be sat on your you know, on your shelf kind of being guilt-inducing. So I wanted it to be useful. I wanted it to be easy to digest. Um, and actually, it kind of goes back to the first book I wrote, which is called 21 Ways to Manage the Stuff That Sucks Up Your Time. Um, one of my friends very affectionately called it a toilet book. <laughs> because it was a kind of book that you could pick up, read for two minutes, and then put it down and take something useful away. Um, and you know, the second book, How to Be Really Productive, is still digestible, but it's not quite in that format. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to return to that. I wanted to return to a format that was very easily accessible, um, but also one that I guess could speak to different people at different times. So you can pick it up and go, actually, where, where I'm at right now is... Um, I'm in the doldrums I can pick up that bit on the doldrums I can read that and it speaks to me in the moment so you can kind of dip in and out but equally like you say you can read it cover to cover now you know you talk about how it's absolutely okay to feel how you're feeling and you, you know you, you you often reference about ensuring that we don't beat ourselves up or add to the guilt that we create for ourselves when we don't you know, we're not as productive as we want to be and, you know, procrastination does take over, etc. And it, when you talk about the, so from a coaching perspective, what do you find often drives that guilt and that, the, you know, we get from not being as productive as we want to be? I think it's, it's often the way that we internalise it. So, Yes, something's not you know working or one we don't feel like we're having a productive day. So there's the there's the kind of immediate cost of that in terms of it's going to take it's taking a lot of time. I don't feel like I'm producing anything in that time. So there's the kind of um, practical aspects of it, and that's where a lot of productivity advice stays is in the practical aspects. But if we go deeper into the internal aspect of it, what we tend to do is then take you know this is hard or this is tricky, um, or I'm taking a long time, and we then internalize it, we make it personal, we make it, this is my fault, um, or I'm so stupid, 
or I'm lazy um, and all of those things. And we kind of take, we add a layer of meaning onto it that often cripples us more than it enables us. So it will perpetuate the procrastination because we're stripping ourselves of the ability um, or the confidence or even the, the permission that we need to go, yeah, I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to try it. Now, on the other side of it, so, you know, I'm going to, from a personal perspective, I, I, I'm not particularly organised myself. As um, and as I know that friends and family listen to this, will testify. Um, and equally as well, um, obviously my priority is to make sure that work that I'm being paid to do is is completed ahead of schedule. And equally as well, there are times when outside of that, I realise I get to lunchtime and I've done, you know, I've I've watched clips on YouTube and I, I I've I've I realise you know I need to go and fix that shelf or whatever it might be. Um, so, but one of the things that, about the book that is quite surprising to read, actually, in this day, and it, well, more so than books that I've read historically, is to, to almost just embrace that feeling that you're going now, to work out what's causing it, to change some of the behaviours in terms of creating lists, but equally as well, to, some, to somehow allow myself to, to feel that way without and therefore kind of releasing some of the guilt or stress behind that and for me you know I've been in business now for a few years if I'd have said that to my mentor 20 30 years ago it'd have laughed in my face so what's <laughs> changed about how, you know why should we take some of that guilt off ourselves and give ourselves the permission to go do you know what if you're just having one of those days and you can afford to have one of those days then have it yeah and I think also when you when you decide to have one of those days if you own that you're probably going to do something that helps to maybe restore you, recharge you, um, and and leaves you with maybe better ideas or at least more energy to then come back and tackle it the next day. So if you own that procrastination, if you own it and go, do you know what, I'm going to stop right now and, and I'm going to do something else instead, it's much more deliberate and much more intentional and you're far more likely to reap some benefits from that. But if you go and come from a perspective of guilt where you go, oh, damn it, I haven't done it again. I'm so stupid. I'm just going to beat myself up and I'm going to you know, push myself harder. There is there is a certain element of um, benefit you can get out of it in the short term, but it's much more costly uh, because it's going to cost you. Um, I mean, a, it's just more hard work because you're having to push yourself to do it. Um, but also you're going to be exhausted afterwards. So if you just keep on doing that again and again and again, you're going to hit a point where you're going to burn out and you're just going to go, I'm not doing any of it now. I'm just going to completely walk away because I'm, I'm spent. I'm done. Um, and so it's a lot of, and I think also a lot of our work, the kind of work that we do requires not just our presence, um, but our um, emotional capacities. So it's not just about, um, you know, if we were doing if we were doing factory line jobs, if we were in the industrial age, then just being at work, even if we don't feel like it, we're there, we're moving things around, we're using our hands, we're able to be productive. But so much of our work these days requires on our imagination, um, our, our clear thinking, our compassion, our understanding of people, of ourselves, of systems. So it, you know, it's, it's our cognitive capacity, it's our thinking, it's our emotions that, um, that we use in order to do our best work. And so if all we do is kind of beat ourselves into submission, um, yes, we can physically make ourselves show up and put in the time, 
but um, a lot of our emotional and our um, our cognitive capacity will be um, will be dampened because we're we're, we're kind of like we're, we're fighting with ourselves there. And how important then is the influence of others to help you know kind of create an increase in that cognitive capacity and our emotions? And I'm not talking about friends and family because they love us and they'll <laughs> often tell us what we need, what we they feel we need to hear as opposed to want to. But so how important is the influence of others in a professional network to help us through those moments yeah so I think it's often what what helps us is having the conversations and having permission to have the right kind of conversations so if the kind of conversation you have about procrastination or about anything you're struggling with is oh what's wrong and oh I know what you need to do you need to and then they give you advice they tell you how to fix the, the problem then what gets internalized is yeah, there's something wrong with me when this happens, um, and you, you and 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 therefore that the what we do about that is limited. But if the conversation is, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me more. Then it allows us to activate curiosity. It allows us to be able to kind of um, explore that space rather than feel bad that we're in that space. And yet, we often don't have those conversations because mm-hmm. we're fear of the judgment of others I mean it's, it's admitting it to ourselves in the first place I mean that's one of the mm-hmm. barriers but the judgment that we might get from others is all right well you know snap out of it or the judgment of hmm, a bit lazy I might go to someone so therefore we we create that barrier ourselves so if I'm feeling as the kind of person who thinks actually I'm not entirely sure I want to open up to other professionals about how little I'm achieving at the moment how do I remove that barrier I think it's finding some people that you trust to begin with um, and maybe changing the conversation. So changing the questions that you ask. So rather than how's business? Yeah, fine. All great. All busy. Yeah, all of that kind of yeah, the, the stock answers that we give. Maybe we can start asking things like, what are you working on right now? Um, what, what's new? What are you learning? What are you discovering? Um, what are you wrestling with? Um, or what's really bugging you right now? So it kind of almost opens up and gives permission to the kind of conversation where struggles might start to appear and where might you might start to hear a, oh, yeah, me too. And, yeah, I find that really difficult too. Or this is really tricky. What do you do about that? What does that mean? And so it's almost having a space where you, you open up with questions rather than shut down with judgment. Now, um, I, obviously, I, I, well, I tend not to go to read too much about the passages in the book because I want people to go and buy it, as I'm sure you do too. And I'm not a religious person, but one of the chapters that, or one of the the, the the pieces, the stories that I was drawn to more than anything is the three questions mm. um, that your pastor um, talked to you about. Can you just enlighten us as what those three questions are uh, to help ourselves? Because I think it's I think this is a wonderful piece. Yeah. So the piece comes from basically a story of Moses, who was um, you know, at the burning bush. And he was told this is holy land, you know, holy ground, take off your sandals and all that kind of stuff. And God spoke to him through the burning bush. Um, but it's really interesting. If you look at that kind of passage, what my uh, minister and what my pastor told me were like, there are actually three questions that kind of God poses to Moses. Um, and those three questions are, where do you stand? What, where is your land and what's in your hand? So yeah, when he goes, you're standing on holy ground, it's like, where do you stand? And it's kind of a, an invitation to look at where are you right now? 
So physically speaking, Moses was stood you know, on the ground. There's a burning bush in front of him. But also where he was in his in his life, in his circumstance, was he was in this kind of limbo place. He was in exile because he had um, you know, he had run away. But he was also in a place where he had been um, born as a slave, but adopted by an Egyptian princess and grew up in the courts. So he had this kind of perspective that most people didn't have. He had this perspective of understanding um, how, you know, how, the, how the system worked, but also of being oppressed by the system as well. Um, and then you know, what's, where is his land was about kind of where is your vision? Where are you looking to? What, where is the promised land, if you like? And then what's in your hand is like what experiences, what resources, what skills are you taking with you? So in lots of ways, you could look at his situation and go, He's completely in the wrong place. He's in exile. He's been like sent away. Um, he's tried to intervene and it all went badly before. That's why he was in exile. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm spent. I'm, that's it. I'm done. Um, but actually, those questions kind of got him thinking about, well, actually, where is your land? What's important to you? What are you being called to? And even if it looks like you're completely the wrong person and in the wrong place to head to that promised land, it's you know, asking you, like, what is in your hand? And what, you know, what might look like a weakness, what might look like a wrong turn or a failure can actually be something that gives him or gives you the, um, a different perspective, a unique perspective. Um, and there might be unique resources that you can use as strengths, even though they initially look like weaknesses um, in your particular field, in, in, what you're kind of, in what you're looking towards in your promised land which is a theme that runs throughout the book. It's challenging how we're thinking. It's, it's admitting uh, and challenging the permissions that we give ourselves and the barriers that we've done, which is why I think it's such a, such a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, now, of course, writing a book is a series of deadlines in itself, and I'm sure you've had your own motivational challenges throughout. So what do you do, specifically you, when you know, right, I've got to write X amount of words today or um, X amount of chapters, um, and you know you're waking up, and we've all felt it at times. You're just not feeling it. What moti- what do you do to get the motivation going? So there are a couple of different approaches, and actually, um, I'll tell you about both um, both of them because last book when I wrote How to Be Really Productive, um, it was I I did a lot of it by kind of carving out the space. So I had a writing cave that I went to. It was a cafe where I didn't you know basically I I got. I managed to sort out childcare so I didn't I could have there are times away um, from from other commitments. Um, I blocked out my diary, I had the space that I went to, um, and and that was my writing cave that I went to. And it was very much like I've got this amount of time, I've got these deadlines, I've got to write, you know, I, and I had kind of fixed points that I was working towards. Um, and that that worked for that book. For this book, it was very different. Uh, because this book didn't have a skeleton to begin with. It wasn't a case of here are 10 chapters, here are 10 different topics I want to write about, and I could break it down into kind of paragraphs and sections and things like that. This book was here's an idea, and here are some aspects, if you like, that I want to explore, but I have no idea how it all hangs together. So I wrote this book Guts first, (laughs) and it was like spill all the guts onto paper or onto screen, Um, and then work out how does it all fit in together. So a lot of the way that this book worked was 
carving out space to just chuck stuff into the sandpit. So you're just chucking in material, you're chucking in ideas, you're chucking in thoughts, you're chucking in like a couple of sentences here or a paragraph there, and it's all going in. And I've no idea how it's all going to hang together, but it's all going in there. And then um, what I did was as the deadline started looming um, and as pandemic hit, um, I, you know, I was waiting for that point where that everyone else was talking about, uh, like, oh, there's no work to do. I'm going to learn a new hobby or I'm going to write a book. That didn't happen for me. Um, work, um, you know, very gratefully, work continued. So I had to then carve out the space. So I, I basically took a sabbatical. I took a month off my regular work. I put my out of office on. Um, I booked into a, a virtual writing retreat for the first two weeks of that. So I had some accountability. Um, but basically, I kind of sat down every day. Um, I had to recreate my writing cave because I wasn't allowed to go to a cafe. So um, I, yeah, I found a different spot in the house to where I normally work. Um, I found um, a Spotify playlist that became my kind of soundtrack to writing. It was, um, for anyone interested, it was Atmospheric Calm on Spotify. Um, and um, I did joke to my publisher that it probably made every line in the book sound like some kind of line on a, a film track or something like that, because it was all very dramatic. Um, but it worked to kind of create a space so that every time I put that music on, it kind of got me back into that headspace of like, oh, here's what I'm here to do. Um, and I told myself that success was basically just turning up each day, showing up, being immersed in the work and, and just paying attention to that work. So some days I might have written lots, other days I might not have. And, um, and it was really important that I didn't beat myself up and just count by word count. It was about showing up every day and trusting that process that things will come out, good things will come out of it. And they did. Um, and I think there was, um, it was funny because the first um, first couple of days of that, um, like I so wanted to go check my emails. I so wanted to go do absolutely anything else, even the stuff I'd normally procrastinate on. It's like, ah, oh, I could just go do that right now. I'm pretty sure I had hankering for ironing at the same time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you know when you're like really procrastinating, when the things you'd normally procrastinate on are the things that you prefer to go to in the moment. But like the, the, the kind of thing that I kept telling myself was like, just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. You're in the right place. It doesn't, you know, those thoughts of yours doesn't mean that you're in the wrong place. You're in the right place. And your job is just to keep engaging with these ideas and engaging with the work. And, um, you know, and when it comes to putting words down on, on paper or onto screen, I always go for the shitty first draft. It's like it doesn't have to be good. It's just about getting something out there and then I can work with it. Um, and, and it was funny because I think by day five, I started getting into a groove of going, um, oh, I don't want to stop now. And I think it was only the fact that like I had to go eat dinner that I actually had to stop. I was like, this is what it feels like. This is, it. I call it my chapter three moment because in How to Be Really Productive, chapter three was the, the chapter I absolutely adored writing. It was like, this is how I expected writing to be. This is the writer's dream and it felt amazing. But it was only one of 10 chapters. Yeah, the rest of it was much more wrestling and wrangling. So I think it, it is that it's a weird dance um, uh, that has space for the beautiful and the terrible all at the same time. And it's all part of that journey. 
Well, I, and I keep calling it chapters, and I shouldn't. It's three parts, obviously. It look, kind of looks at, you know, where we've come from, where we are now, and where we're going, effectively. And uh, uh, so uh, forgive me if I keep calling it chapters. It's, it's Absolutely um, fine. <laughs> to know how to, to pitch it. Anyway. Now, and, uh, so um, I want to just, because as I said already, a lot of conversation comes up specifically about procrastination as well within the Freelance Heroes community. And a few people have submitted questions um, that you've been... Uh, uh, that I'm grateful you've agreed to, to answer. Um, so one of which is, how do we try to avoid it before we spend all day doing nothing? So I guess, you know, you've already touched on this already, but I, I wonder if this question is about the bit before we feel that way as opposed to mm -hmm. when we feel that way. Yeah, so I think there are some very practical things that we can do to try and avoid procrastination. Um, so if we think about why we procrastinate, um, you know, typically it's because things are big, boring or scary. So let's take big, for example, if something is too big, if you have right book written on your to do list, it's never going to get done because it's, it's too big, it's too vague. Um, and you look at that compared to look at reply to so and so on email. And it's like, yeah, the, the kind of specificity, the tangible, I can see myself replying to that email, I can't see myself writing the book. Um, you know, then you're basically setting yourself up for procrastination if you have things like write book on your to-do list. Um, so a practical thing you can do is by you know, maybe breaking it down or maybe writing it in a different way. So it might just be um, go play with this idea or it might be write three bullet points about whatever the topic is. Um, you know, so getting really specific about what's the very next step you can see yourself doing and make it really action oriented, make it really specific, but also make it small enough that, um, that it doesn't look like a huge task. It means that you're far more likely to go, yeah, I can pick that up and I can you know, give it some attention, but also it makes it easier to tick it off and get that sense of dopamine hit um, so that you can feel good in the process of doing it and get that sense of progress. How do we deal with that if we're impatient? So for example, I was hoping that I would be more skilled at playing the guitar than I am a year into the pandemic. Um, but that's because I look at the keys and my fingers, the, the strings of my fingers, and then I look at where I want to be. And I just don't relate to that journey. So it's all well, in, I understand the idea of breaking down a challenge, but even then impatience can provide a barrier. So how do we overcome that? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think what we want to see is progress. And we want to know that that progress is in the right direction. So if you know that, the chances are, if you practice every day, a year's time, you're going to see a massive difference. Day to day, you might not see the difference, but in a year's time, you will. Then in that case, what we need to do is have the trust that you know, the practice every day is going to lead there, but then see measure progress differently. So it might be that on a day-to-day -day basis, you have a tracker, so you're able to like tick it off to see like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go for a streak, I'm not gonna break it, um, so I'm gonna have to you know, tick it off every single day. And therefore, you know, that, that kind of like becomes the focus point, it's like, I, I don't want to lose the streak, I wanna tick it off. But what happens in order to do that is that you practice every day. And then maybe you can you know, have some milestones where you look back, where you maybe record yourself on day one, and then record yourself on you know, day seven or you know, month two or something like that. And then notice, oh, I could do that before. I, you know, I, couldn't, I, don't know how to, I didn't know how to do that before. I can do that now. So you can then have milestones where you start to compare progress. 
And then you can go, ah, okay, so this is leading me in the right direction. I'll keep going. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it, it's a weird one because it's simultaneously dialing it down so it doesn't seem like a, a huge task and becomes easier to do, but also you're dialing it up in terms of like, oh, this simple thing is going to get me that result over there. And, and maybe that's it, you know, because the, the power of reflection there really, because we spend so much time looking forward that we don't maybe give ourselves enough credit to look back mm. at what we've achieved so far. I love that. Thank you. And um, so do we procrastinate to put off doing what needs to be done? Or is it our subconscious saying, hold on, I just haven't worked this out yet? I love that question. And I think it comes down to that whole, like, why am I procrastinating? Um, and so we, when we're able to just sit with that question and go, well, why am I procrastinating? It might be, ah, yeah, I don't know how to do it. And so therefore, my first my first step might not be write the book. It might be I need to ask somebody for help or I need to research something or I need to find out something. Um, and often, actually, this comes up in, in workshops where somebody goes, I'm procrastinating over this. And, and when we start talking about it, it's like, actually, I just haven't made the decision yet about what I want therefore I don't know where I want to start so I think you know, asking like sitting with that question will actually help to give you answers they might be unexpected answers but the answers that will eventually help you to move forward so I mean one of the things that seems so clear is that there is so many reasons for it you know there's the size of the task that you mentioned already is it also is there ever a moment where we should encourage procrastination because one of the questions that was asked is is it a form of stress relief and on the assumption that the answer might be yes to that is there therefore an excuse that we should just give ourselves that moment to maybe encourage procrastination in some sense yeah it's, it's interesting there's so there's a there's a concept called productive procrastination and the idea of that is that you say for example you've got two projects on the go um, and you're working on one project and you get to a point where you're really stuck on it, you could force yourself to stay there, or you could take a break and go work on the other project. And while you're doing that, what happens in your brain is the, the original thing sits in your periphery, and that's sometimes when you get your best ideas. So sometimes you can't force your best ideas to come out. Sometimes your best ideas come, that's why your best ideas come out in the shower, or when you're driving, or when you're playing with your kids. It's like, Oh, that's the thing. So I think there is definitely something about sometimes taking the pressure off and trusting um, and letting that idea brew in your head and, and kind of grow that way. Um, but I think it's also probably good to be aware that sometimes what we see in the moment of stress relief can actually just be stress displacement. So if it's I'm not going to deal with that, I'm going to go and play Candy Crush instead. Um, yes, it's stress relief in the moment, but yeah, where are you when you come back? I think that's the test. If when you come back after taking a break or something like that, you're in a better place with better ideas, then you know that that strategy's worked. If when you come back, you go, oh, no, I'm still just as stuck as before. And in fact, I feel even worse for it now because the deadline's even more looming and you know, I've, I'm feeling guilty. I'm beating myself up because I've just wasted all that time then that was probably stress displacement rather than stress relief. That's about, I never even, that idea of coming back, I think is, is that's a massive uh, leap for me. And I'm sure it will be for others too, in kind of that, it's, it's often that reflection again, which mm. we don't do, uh, which we don't do enough. Um, so I guess 
the if we realize that we uh, there are some benefits it almost seems to to procrastination to help productivity but you know clearly it is a negativity when there are other things that we need to be doing so the short question i have here to to finish on is well one more after this which is actually how do we stop doing it if we know that we're guilty of it time and time again how do we stop i don't i think i don't think we can completely prevent it because like i said at the beginning it's a very human reaction but what i think we can do is we can notice it and we can name it um so almost noticing like okay i'm procrastinating so i'm naming it and then going okay so what is this thing like what am i actually dealing with here so that's when we can do the reflection with that's when we can do the why am i procrastinating yeah and, yeah, and the kind of why yeah where's the resistance what's the next step I need to take? And then we can make some decisions about what we do. So rather than procrastinating being a form of kind of leaving that decision and, and going away from it, we can make a decision that helps us. You know, either it's like, I need to let it sit, I need to let it breathe, or I need to crack on with it and get it done, or I need to do it imperfectly because it's not gonna be perfect, or I just need to give it a go and then I'll learn more and then I'll you know, be able to do it better. Um, so it's it's recognizing, I think, recognizing. I, and I guess it comes back to the, the three steps that I talk about in the book around struggle. Um, I forgot to ask you, Ed, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? I mean, I already did. I read out the title. Good. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so the th- you know, it's what I call the three shits. Uh, so the three shits are, oh, shit. What is this shit? And then holy shit. Um, so OSHA is the recognition. It's like, oh, I'm I'm procrastinating. Oh, I'm struggling. Like, you, know, it, it's recognizing it rather than looking away and going, this is how I'm feeling right now. And then what is the shit? Is the reckoning? It's where we get curious about it and go, well, what is it really? What does it mean? But actually, what else could it mean? What am I actually dealing with? Um, and so that's when we can get curious about it, and that's when we can understand it in much more detail, but also understand the not just the procrastination, but the thing that we're dealing with um, in, in much more detail. Um, and then that that leads to a whole lot of possibilities. It normally gives us what we need to kind of make a decision then. And then comes a revelation. It's like, holy shit, that's what I need to do. Or, you know, that's the truth about it. Or like, I thought this was just all really bad news, but there's an opportunity in here that I can take. Um, so it's the revelation that then kind of releases that pressure bubble, if you like, and allows us to then step forwards and and you know and see what happens when we do. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for asking the question. By the way, I, I wanted to ask Lassie, what did you learn the most while writing this book, either about yourself or about productivity or about the way the professional world and the, our lives are at the moment? What was your greatest lesson? That's a really good question. Um, I think. I think it, one of the things that I write about in the book is the often how we see struggle is we see it as life interrupted. So we see it as, like we see procrastination as work interrupted, don't we? It's like, oh, mm. yeah, we're not getting the work done now. And we often see anything that we struggle with generally as life or work interrupted. But one of the things I talk about in the book is like, what if it's not? What if actually this shitty moment right here right now is where life happens it's like it's not where we thought it would happen but it is where it's happening and um so if we start seeing as 
this is this is the life. It's not the life we might have imagined, but this is the life right now, right here, right now. If we saw it that way, then we can start to be in the moment rather than waiting for it to pass. Um, so I think for me, that biggest learning is like, actually, life doesn't happen in the perfect moments. Um, life happens in the awkward moments, in the shitty moments, in the imperfect moments. Um, and, and actually, that's that's the kind of weird and messy way that we live life. Um, but that's the only life that we have. Um, and there's there's some amazing things that can come out of it when we allow ourselves to live or work in those imperfect moments rather than waiting for the perfect moment to come. The uh, struggle is available on April the 13th, published by Practical Inspiration Publishing. What I love about this book is that it obviously focuses on life's shittier moments. It's in the title, it's it's mentioned throughout. But actually, there's a sense of, I've really got to stop putting the book in front of the microphone when I talk. Anyway, the, uh, the book is actually littered with like a call to arms. A, a, there's inspiration throughout the book, um, whether we're reflecting or looking forward. It really does deserve to be a success for you. Um, I can't help, and I know it's a bizarre question to ask this when um, this one isn't even out yet, but have you already had an idea of, of what's to follow and what other books you – what's your next book you've got in you? <laughs> I have no idea. No idea whatsoever. <laughs> um, I'm open to inspiration. <laughs> um, I will put all the links to the book and how you can get in touch uh, with Grace uh, as well. So good luck with the book. Thank you very much for giving up your time today. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. Thanks again to Grace there. Uh, her book is published on April the 13th, available on Kindle on April the 12th. Or if you listen to it after those dates, it's out now. So go buy it. And also would love to know what your productivity challenges are or what your, I guess, holy shit moments were based on this episode. Do let me know. Podcast at freelance-heroes.com. Thanks very much for tuning in. Join us again next week. I'm off to go practice the guitar. Bye for now.